0: Congregation, I proclaim to you the word of God this afternoon as we confess it in Lord's Day 27 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 27. And we'll read in connection with that also article, the last paragraph of Article 34 of the Belgic Confession. and the last part of, last paragraph, and then the cans of Dort, chapter 1, article 17. So first of all, Lord's Day 27. Does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? No, only the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sins. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. God speaks in this way for good reason. He wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ remove our sins just as water takes away dirt from the body. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly cleansed from our sins spiritually as we are bodily washed with water. Should infants, too, be baptized? Yes. Infants, as well as adults, belong to God's covenant and congregation. Through Christ's blood, the redemption from sin and the Holy Spirit who works faith are promised to them no less than to adults. Therefore, by baptism, as sign of the covenant, they must be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished From the children of unbelievers. This was done in the Old Covenant by circumcision, in place of which baptism was instituted in the New Covenant. And then we'll read the last paragraph of Article 34, the Belgian Confession. It begins at the bottom of page 513. We believe, therefore, that anyone who aspires to eternal life ought to be baptized only once. Baptism should never be repeated, for we cannot be born twice. Moreover, baptism benefits us, not only when the water is on us and when we receive it, but throughout our whole life. For that reason, we reject the error of the Anabaptists who are not content with a single baptism received only once and who also condemned the baptism of little children of believers. We believe that these children ought to be baptized and sealed with the sign of the covenant, as infants were circumcised in Israel on the basis of the same promises, which are now made to our children. Indeed, Christ shed his blood to wash the children of believers just as much as he shed it for adults. Therefore, they ought to receive the sign and sacrament of what Christ has done for them, as the Lord commanded in the law, that a lamb was to be offered shortly after children were born. This was a sacrament of the suffering and death of Jesus Christ. Because baptism has the same significance for our children as circumcision had for the people of Israel, Paul calls baptism the circumcision of Christ. And then we turn to the Cans of Dort, chapter 1, article 17. We find that on page 569 of the Book of Praise. And there we confess the the following, the children of believers who die in infancy. We must judge concerning the will of God from His Word, which declares that the children of believers are holy, not by nature, but in virtue of the covenant of grace in which they are included with their parents, Therefore, God-fearing parents ought not to doubt the election and salvation of their children whom God calls out of this life in their infancy. So far, our confessions. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, Here And that includes then also you, boys and girls, you belong to God's covenant and congregation. And this afternoon, I'd like to focus on that last question, the answer of Lord's Day 27, about infant baptism. Confess children of believers belong to God's covenant and congregation, have the same promises as adults, and therefore ought to be baptized. We also believe that adults who come to faith and are not baptized in the name of the triune God ought to be baptized too. So we also believe in adult baptism. But then when adults come to faith and are baptized, their children also are included in God's covenant and congregation with them. On the other hand, Baptists, and most evangelicals today are Baptists, hold to believer's baptism, also called credo-baptism. And they claim that only those who understand and profess faith in Christ ought to be baptized. Children don't understand yet. And those who are too disabled to profess their faith may not receive baptism then. Could it be that there are children of God among those who believe in credo-baptism or, or believer's baptism? Could it be that there are children of God among them? Yes, congregation. I'm glad that I don't have to be the judge of the, that. The Lord is the judge of that. There are more children of God who don't see everything in the Bible correctly, but should we then make a big deal out of this this difference? Is the difference between Reformed and Baptist really that big? That we ought to make a, a big deal out of that? Well, <clears throat> sometimes differences can be very big. And it's not necessarily true that we basically think the same about everything the Bible says and the, the, the only difference is that we also baptize infants, whereas they only baptize believers. It's not necessarily that true that we think the same about everything else that the Bible says, and this is the only difference. Because maybe you've, you've watched or even attended a Baptist or Pentecostal or Alliance worship service. Then you already know there's a difference here. For instance, and just to take one thing out of uh, the, out of it all, a lot of Baptist churches really don't sing the Psalms. They have different ideas about the relevance of the Old Testament to the New Testament church. And so the Psalms don't speak to them. And then, there are other things too and you realize there's more to The difference between Reformed and Baptist than just a, a different idea about who should receive baptism. There's a lot more connected to this issue, as you see from question and answer 74. Because in that answer, you come across words like covenant, promise, and church. Baptism is connected with those things, baptism is connected to a whole lot of other things, and it's like a wall. You take one brick out of the middle of that wall, and that weakens all the other bricks. That's how it is with infant baptism. To take away infant baptism affects a whole lot of other things, how you see other things too. How you see us as 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 people, human beings, newborn babies, babies, how you see us in the babies in the womb, even. And connected to that is how you see God and his grace. How you understand that. And that's what it's about. We want to take the whole Bible into account. Get our comfort from the whole Bible. And to miss out on infant baptism is to miss out on a great deal of the comfort available in Holy Scripture to us. So I proclaim to you the word of God as we confess that in Lord's Day 27 about infant baptism and we'll pay attention to two things. God's covenant in the first place and God's promises in the second place. If a baptism and God's covenant then, first of all, I mentioned that whether or not you believe that infants also should be baptized has to do with how you see God and his grace and how you see people. What you think of man? We believe in adult baptism when adults come to faith and profess their faith. They ought to be baptized. We confess, Lord's Day 27, Article 34, that infants also, the children of believers, ought to be baptized. And as we mentioned with Lord's Day 26, baptism teaches us in the first place about ourselves. We and our children are conceived and born in sin and therefore by nature children of wrath. That's the first thing you read in the form for infant baptism. We all fell in Adam. As the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 5, through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death death spread to all men because all men sinned. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. So, we all share in the curse and condemnation which God spoke to Adam. We all share in the sinfulness which Adam brought on himself and all his descendants by his sin in paradise. Because of our father Adam's sin, we're all conceived and born in sin and inclined to all evil. That in the first place. And that, if you understand that, then, you, then it's connected to two things. In the first place, it means that our, our children need grace right from conception already. God is not unjust when he leaves people in their fallen condemnation. Everybody deserves that in Adam. They even want that in Adam. So grace is needed. Grace. And in the second place, that means that God has to always act first. He seeks and calls and renews. He has to do that. He has to work Otherwise, it would never happen that people come to him and accept his grace. Well, infant baptism fits exactly with that if you think about it. A child needs grace right from the instant of conception. And that's what infant baptism shows. It shows that God comes to us first with his grace, without us even asking for it, being able to ask for it. Just as our children share without their knowledge in the condemnation of Adam, so are they without their knowledge received into grace in Christ, it says in the form for baptism. God holds out his grace without us asking for it. Without us knowing about it, if we're born to believers. And if you think about it, it's quite something for parents to stand here at the front and present their children for baptism, newborn children. You know, you stand there with a baby in your arms, and the knowledge that that little child who hasn't done anything of himself or herself yet was conceived and born in sin and therefore already subject to all sorts of misery and even to condemnation without god's grace that child of itself has no future in god's kingdom you can only know that in faith if you also have come to confess that about yourself Of ourselves resistant to God and under his wrath. And that nature, that sinful nature is so deeply embedded in us that it goes back to the very beginning of all our lives. And our children come into life the same way as all of us. As sinners already and wired for sin. At the same time though you confess that You also understand how gracious God is. That he comes with his grace without you asking for it. For most of us before we as babies ourselves knew anything about it. He is, he wants to be first. He shows himself first in infant baptism. That's also what he said to Abraham. He established his covenant with Abraham, the believer. God first came to Abraham. Genesis 12. Then Abraham believed God and he established his covenant with Abraham, Genesis 17, the believing Abraham. But at the same time, he also established his covenant with Abraham's children, his descendants. I will be God to you and your descendants after you. I will be your God. And when God says that, it includes everything The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit do. The covenant involved more than just the land of Canaan and and prosperity in that land for Abraham too. It involved God's care and blessings and his complete salvation. God, as it were, brings Abraham aboard a ship on the way to the harbor of eternal glory. And when Abraham is aboard that ship, his descendants... His seed go along on that ship too. For Abraham's descendants were holy, set apart in the covenant of God's grace. They belong to God. And Abraham is actually mentioned in Romans 5 as the guarantee for all believers that God is their God and the God of their descendants. Think of how Abraham is referred to time and again in the New Testament. Galatians 3, Hebrews 8, Romans 4, which we read together. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. God came to Abraham with promises we mentioned, Genesis 12. And Abraham believed God, and then God said, Genesis 17, he would be his God forever. And Abraham's Old Testament faith was the same faith as the faith in God's promises in Christ in the New Testament. That's why Paul can refer to it in Romans. God promises to be our God. And when people believe that, they and their children are included in the covenant in the same way Abraham believed and he and his descendants were included in the covenant. That's the example of Abraham. And that's also why the Apostle Paul can write for instance 1 Corinthians 7 verse 14 that even if one parent in a family is a believer the children are holy. Belong to him. Set apart for him in his covenant and have his promises. Belong to him. See? God takes the children of believers into his covenant from generation to generation. As long as parents believe Their children also belong to God's covenant and congregation. And their children, as long as they believe, and as long as they believe their children through the generations. God loves working through the generations. Old Testament, also New Testament. He wants his covenant promises passed on from one generation to the next. And he loves to do that because that shows most clearly that it all comes from him. From his grace. This is not something that people decided they wanted. No, God wanted them. It comes from him. And the baptism of infants shows most clearly that he is first with his grace. No one can receive his promises and accept them without his grace. You don't see that as clearly when someone comes to faith on the mission field and is baptized. It's a wonderful thing. But God's grace doesn't come to the fore as clearly as it with an infant baptism. But then you have to notice that when someone on the mission field comes to faith and is baptized, that their children also will be baptized because it all comes from God in his grace, whether we come to faith and are baptized or whether we are baptized and come to faith. He comes first. And congregation, you know where all this becomes especially important? We mentioned comfort. Well, when a father and a mother look forward to the birth of a child, but that child dies before he or she is born or shortly after he or she is born, a miscarriage or an infant death, Then the crib remains empty. No baby noises in the house. And that can bring some hard days for a couple. And they ask themselves at that time, where is our baby now? Where is our child? And then they wonder about the eternal destiny of their child. You can't just say that that child is in heaven because he or she never did anything wrong. No, that child was already sinner from conception, guilty in Adam from the beginning already, and therefore already condemnable before God, although that child had not spoken or done anything yet. But, infant baptism shows, as we mentioned, God is first with his grace. And so, as we confess in the cans of Dort, chapter 1, article 17, believing God-fearing parents ought not to doubt the election and salvation of their children whom God calls out of this life in their infancy. Yeah, those babies, unformed maybe even yet in the womb, were condemnable from conception. But God includes them in the covenant with their parents. See, those babies who died in the womb or not long after they were born were on board the ship Abraham was on. Their parents are on. And they never had the opportunity or the ability to jump overboard off that ship. And therefore they will be heading into that harbor of eternal glory with their believing parents. Saved by God's grace. And God's grace alone. Not because of any choice they made in themselves but God's grace. Because of the covenant. As long as one of the parents is a believer. Even if that child never received baptism. For that child... God's covenant is there right from conception too. Condemnable from conception, but God says, wait, from conception, mine. Baptism is simply the visible affirmation of the covenant. But it's there for the children of believers right from the beginning of life. What a beautiful testimony of God's complete grace congregation. For how many children haven't died in the womb or in infancy also here in this congregation? Many didn't even have a name. Never known. Never seen on earth except maybe by parents and hospital staff held the child for a moment. They never took part in the life of this world. But we may not doubt that they're in heaven in glory with God. And so many people with power, seen and known by millions because of their status in politics or sports or the music scene, who will never be known or seen in eternal glory, even though they were so famous here on earth. But that unborn child known to God And you can include in this confession also people born mentally disabled. Without the ability to understand, to grasp. Included with their parents. They're in that covenant ship with their parents. They are also unable to jump ship. So they'll arrive in the harbor of glory too. And that's a huge comfort and assurance to their parents and siblings. And for a congregation because they might wonder too, what what is this person living for? Where is their life going? They cannot respond to anything. Well, that life is a testimony of God's grace. Conceived and born in sin as all other children and yet, as children of believers, holy to the Lord, set aside in His covenant of grace, testimonies, living testimonies of God's complete grace. And that's something that you might want to experience when you visit the Anchor Camp open house next week. We come to the second part of the sermon this afternoon about God's promises. Congregation, Lord's Day 27, and also our form for the baptism of infants connect baptism and covenant in the New Testament with circumcision and covenant in the Old Testament. Those who believe in only adult baptism don't accept that connection. They believe that the New Testament is different from the Old. They actually are not sure what to do with the Old when it comes down to it. Those who believe in only adult baptism don't see it. The same connections. Well, we read from Romans 4. And in that chapter, the Apostle Paul points out that what he was saying about the righteousness that comes by faith, using Abraham as an example, was already known in the Old Testament. That was standard in the Old Testament too. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And then the apostle says that Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of faith. That's the righteousness of faith. That's the benefit of faith, that righteousness. That's the content of faith, in fact. What t- faith takes hold of, that righteousness, is actually two things. It's actually two things. Faith takes hold of the forgiveness of sins in Christ and the renewal of the heart By the spirit of Christ. Circumcision. Was a seal of that. In the Old Testament. It says in Romans 4 verse 11. That's what was sealed to Abraham by circumcision. The forgiveness of his sins. And the renewal of his heart. But when Abraham had himself circumcised. He also had Isaac circumcised. And. And. Isaac, his descendants. See, Isaac was an infant too, too young to believe yet. He, didn't, he couldn't believe out of himself yet. He didn't ask to be circumcised. He didn't profess any faith. And yet the content of faith, the forgiveness of sins and renewal of, of the heart, were signified and sealed to him. These are your promises. Signified and sealed to the child, Isaac, That God promised him the forgiveness of sins and the renewal of his heart. And now think of baptism. What is the water of baptism a sign and seal of? Not a sign and seal of faith. Water and faith have no connection. No, the water is a sign and seal of the righteousness of faith. Of forgiveness and renewal given through faith. Water signifies the washing with the blood of Christ. The washing away of sin. And it signifies the cleansing of the heart with the spirit of Christ. The renewal of the heart. And you realize circumcision and baptism signify and seal the very same things. Circumcision was not a sign and seal of Abram's faith itself but of what God promised to faith and the same with baptism baptism isn't a sign and seal of your faith but of what God promises to faith and therefore just as infants received the sign and seal of God's promises in the Old Testament so infants should receive the sign and seal of what God promises in Christ in the New Testament too Baptists will say, I believe, and so I come to God and have myself baptized, and God promises me forgiveness. But we confess that God has come to us and promised forgiveness and renewal of life and sealed that by baptism. And it's those promises which encourage me to continue in that faith so that I embrace those promises. And we say then that God's covenant and promises are first. And faith is the consequence of that. Not the other way around, as the Baptists will say. That my faith is first and God's promises are the consequences of my faith. Now, no example is perfect, but maybe you could think of baptism then as a kind of a gift card from God. Some of the ladies in the ladies' aid, you know, they organize the sale of gift cards to raise money for Harvest School. Well, let's say that somebody buys a gift card of one of the local supermarkets and gives it to you. Here, it's for you. And when you need food, you show it to the cashier at the supermarket and you can take the groceries in your cart, you can take them home. You don't have to pay money. But if you put that gift card in a drawer at home and you carelessly forget about it, then you don't get anything. If you had no money, you would starve to death even though you had that gift card in a drawer at home. Well, God promises His covenant children forgiveness of their sins and the renewal of their hearts. And baptism is His gift card given to you, it's on the card. And He gives it with one goal in mind that if you are able, you take that gift card and you use it, and that you ask for what's promised by that card. Ask for the forgiveness of your sins. Ask for the renewal of your heart. Because that's what you need, right? Without that forgiveness of your sins, you're going to perish in the end. Your sins will condemn you before God. And without the renewal of your heart, you're going to remain blind to your sins. And blind to Christ. And blind that has everything to do with God. So, you in faith go to God and show Him your card and you ask, Oh God, give me what's promised here on this. And He gives you what is signified and sealed to you. You don't have to pay a thing for it. You just need to believe what's promised and to ask then, and it will be given to you. But if you leave the gift card of your baptism in a drawer at home and forget about it. If you live a worldly life and you're not interested in what was promised to you and you throw that gift card of your baptism in the garbage, you'll perish in your sins and with an unrenewed heart. And why? Not because God's grace wasn't big enough. Not because he didn't mean it, but because you were not interested in it. You didn't want what He promised you. You were given the gift card. the promises were sealed to you. You turned them down. And you see, the Bible shows us actually two kinds of covenant children: those who turn away from the sure promises given to them, who refuse those promises with an unbelieving heart, and count the covenant by which they were sanctified as worthless, as it says in Hebrews 10 verse 29. And they perish through their own doing. On the other hand. There are covenant children. Who seek what was promised to them. And that's pure grace. Their faith in salvation is completely from God. And from what he promised them. And oh it isn't always clear sailing for them. Maybe they profess their faith in God's promises once. Wonderful public profession of faith. But then it can come to difficult times too. Health issues, relationship troubles, struggles with oneself, and then the doubts can come. Are God's promises real? Do I really truly have faith or is it all custom for me? Will God really forgive me after the so manyth time? After what I've done, the terrible things I've done? But baptism is God's seal to us. His gift card With our baptism, he tells us that he means what he promised us. So when I have struggles with my faith, I can think of my baptism again and again. And it tells me that God really loves me and wants to give me what he promised me. And that I can go to him and I'll get it from him for nothing. Thank God then that your baptism didn't depend on your faith but that it depends on God's mercy and covenant faithfulness. If the lamp of baptism, and you just just picture this, if the lamp of baptism hangs on our faith, it's not good. But it's the other way around, right? The lamp of our faith hangs on God's covenant love and faithfulness. Congregation, If you think about all of that, then you realize it's a wonderful thing to be able to stand here and hold your child for baptism. But then it's also of the greatest importance that you do your best to teach and show in your life what baptism exactly seals to them. Forgiveness through the blood of Christ and renewal by His Spirit. That's important that you show and teach them that that you teach and show them how an extremely important that forgiveness and renewal is for their existence. It needs to be seen that the devotion and obedience to God is what everything centers around in our families. Everything else in our families should make way for the devotion to God and nothing should push it aside. The pro- Pressures or the pleasures of life shouldn't cause our Bible reading to become shorter and shorter and then eventually to be skipped in our homes. Or it shouldn't be that there's no time to discuss what was read or what was proclaimed in church. No time busy with other things because that gives children the totally wrong message. Namely, that God and His promises are of secondary importance to us and this life is more important. Children need to see and the adults here and at home need to show what baptism means. That we live out of God's grace and out of His everlasting promises. And that shouldn't be a problem for the adults here, should it? That we daily show that gift card which never ever runs out. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, thank you that we could pay attention this afternoon to our confession of your grace working through generations just as you did in the Old Testament already with Abraham, the father of believers granting your eternal covenant promises to him and as believer and to his descendants through the generations. This shows us your covenant grace. That you're first and foremost in, in your relationship with us. What a comfort for those who have to deal with children who've died in infancy. Even, even children who've, who've died before birth. Who they maybe never even saw. And what a comfort for those who have children who are intellectually handicapped. Don't understand What a responsibility too for the parents of your covenant children who who can understand to teach and show them the glorious promises you've given to them. And what a calling infant baptism is to those who have received it to also seek what has been promised to them by you. To profess their faith in those promises. To live out of the forgiveness and the renewal that have been promised to them and sealed to them in their baptism. Help us, guide us, so that your covenant of grace with us may be and always may remain a reality we live with from day to day even. Hear us, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, who by his blood has brought us into his covenant. Amen.